My name is Kevin. Um, I'm currently living in Mesa, Arizona, uh, but I was born in Parkertown. Uh, my athletic career probably peaked when I played for the Bayshore Cubs at the field right over the next lot in our lovely blue jerseys. For those of you that know my family, uh, I have three kids, one wife. It's a pretty good ratio. Um, we I usually forget pictures, but this time I remember them. So if you want to feel old today, and uh, not just because it's your birthday, uh, this is for all of us. Um, this is Kenzie. Uh, she's nine years old. Let your heart melt, right? Uh, her likes include glitter, glitter, unicorns, and glitter. Uh, the dislikes include her brother barging in a room and cleaning that same room. The unfortunate thing is, Caden, who's eight, uh, his likes include barging in his sister's room uh, and annoying her. So we have lovely times around the house. Uh, and then here is the Cobster. <laughs> and I don't know, but he just, I love that picture. Um, and then here is the queen down there in the corner, the uh, architect of our house, Kaylee-Ann, who keeps things running and makes the magic happen. Uh, we also have a toddler I want to introduce you to, but not, not ours. Um, we, uh, although we do have two toddlers currently living at our house, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, this is a part of our church, Missio de Mesa. And I say we have a toddler because it is in large part to your sacrifice, your generosity, your equipping, and your prayers that there is a gathering of believers taking place thousands of miles away uh, with new people being introduced to Jesus and little infants following Jesus, taking their first steps, just like many of you have at one point. And so uh, this is exciting to me. I love it. Um, and if you ever do want to hear a little bit more about what's going on in Mesa and not just wait for the semi-annual updates when I stand up here, uh, we're on these different thingies and you can scroll around till your fingers get tired. So uh, you're welcome to do that whenever you like. Uh, let me pray. And then we're going to get to the word. Jesus, we are here and we are here to meet with you. Uh, would your voice speak clearly? Would your voice speak powerfully? And would you continue the change that you've been doing in us, birthing a renewal in life? And in the words of the song we just sang, we will give you all the glory for that. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I've got a lot to say today. I usually do that when I come back, so sorry about that. I feel like I always have so much to say and so little to say it in, but I, I want to start off by being honest, um, because you shouldn't lie when you're the preacher. Actually, as a human, you shouldn't lie. Like That's, that's a normal thing. Don't lie. Um, but I, I want to let you know that when I come back here, uh, what I often do is I don't prepare a sermon until I show up. And so, uh, so don't judge me for that. Like, I'm going to tell you why, give you the process. So I'm like, I knew I shouldn't listen to this guy. Um, what I want to do is I come in and I'm able to listen to you, talk to you, hang out with you. And then I usually sit in this very room right here and I pray and ask the Spirit, what would be good news for this family? I don't ever want to just recycle a sermon I preached somewhere else because it was really good there, and then just come in and drop that here and be like, hey, guys, see you later, uh, but really do love you dearly. Some of you I've never met. What's up? Um, but I do love this community and pray for you often. And so I sit in this space, and I pray over it. And so uh, I remember uh, as I was praying in here last night, I asked the Spirit, I was like, all right, what, what, what would be good news for this family today? And I remember that Piper told me where her friends usually sit in the room. 
And so I got up from where I was sitting in the back and walked around the room and prayed over the chairs. And so uh, Amara, Gracie, and Amy sit here. And so I prayed specifically for you because it seemed like you had a reserved row. Uh, Amy's row used to be in the front. She would mean mug me all the time. Uh, that's, that's a different story. That comes up later. Um, but went through and just prayed. And then I went and, and I kneeled up here at the front, which is something I'd never do. And so that's not like something I normally do. Uh, but just kneeled up here in the front and was praying for you guys. And as I did, I got a picture and I got a text. And so one of them is inspired, and you should definitely take it to heart. Uh, that's the text of scripture that I want to be preaching out of. The other is an image that came to mind, and I want to share it, and I hope it's helpful. Uh, if it's not for you, then you can let that pass. But if it is, let it sink in, because as I was praying for you, uh, the Spirit brought to mind just the, the idea of a tree that's going through winter, and then the first buds of life begin to sprout. And so I was just thinking, all right, Spirit, where's what's this coming from? Like, like it'll help me see what exactly you're bringing this to mind for. And, and the, the words that were coming to mind were that a tree, uh, much like this, it's not just producing its first fruit when it sprouts after winter. There's actually roots. Uh, in its season, it produces shade for others. But in winter, it goes dormant for a little while. But that doesn't mean that things aren't happening. It means that you just don't see the new growth yet. You just don't see the new life pushing through yet. And what came to mind is that, yes, this has been an incredibly difficult season. Uh, maybe I know a lot of your stories, you face massive disappointments. Uh, you've engaged with loss. Relationships have been severed. Things feel distant in some ways. Dreams have not quite been realized, and there's some promises still waiting to be fulfilled. But what it felt like the Spirit wanted me to encourage you with is that new life is going to push through. Keep going. Stay the course. And the text that came to mind that went with that, because I was like, all right, well, I can't just preach an image in my brain. Like, Great Bay has been trained well enough not to just go for that. Um, well, what's a text, Jesus, that you want me to use to encourage? So Genesis 12 is where we're going to be. If you want to open your Bible, you can turn there now. Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 5. And there's, there's three words I want to give you. Uh, three words. The problem is that when a preacher says he's got three words for you, you know he's going to take at least 20 minutes to say all three, right? But I'm not even sorry a little bit. Um, I get to see your eyes and your lovely masks. But this story, this story I think has the power to remind us in moments of doubt that God is unwaveringly working out his mission both in us and through us. Like God is doing something in us, and he will not fail, and he's doing something through us, and he will not falter. And the story has the ability to remind us of those things. And so uh, I've been following Jesus literally my whole entire adult life. I'm about to be 40 this year, so I can finally start throwing numbers out there, right? 39. Y'all made me gray, though, way before that. I'm going to be honest. I left here and went back to Arizona, and they're like, dang, what did Jersey do to you? Well, love those people. Um, about to be 40, followed Jesus most of my, uh, almost all my adult life, and I realized that as we grip and grope through life sometimes, it doesn't matter how old you are, your experiences still remain the same where you struggle to believe promises that you know to be true. And so I don't know if you've ever felt like you were following God and it led you to places you never thought you'd go and not in the good way. Or have you ever felt you were grappling and groping to find God again after a long season of being distanced? Have you ever wondered if you made a mistake in following God in the first place because it doesn't seem like things are getting any better. Or in moments of honest reflection and frustrated prayers, wondered if God was really going to keep his promise to you. 
Uh, hear this. This story is for you because that's exactly where the people of Israel were when it was told to them. Let me do a little background, then I'm going to jump into our text. Uh, the story of Genesis is Moses writing to the people of Israel. So Israel, right, they had been in Egypt, they'd been enslaved for 400 years, uh, they had come out, been miraculously rescued. Uh, Israel, though, had been, like I said, in Egypt for 400 years. They'd heard of their gods, they'd been unable to worship the way they wanted to. Their story wasn't being regularly reminded of the things of God. And so as they came out, they saw God, they felt his salvation, they experienced rescue, uh, and then they go through the Red Sea, pretty amazing, but then they're in the desert. And they're looking back, saying, like, I wonder, uh, like, was this God thing worth it? Our feet are kind of in the sand, and we're trying to figure this out. Uh, We've made it through, and that's exciting, but it seems like there's a lot more problems ahead of us than even maybe some of the ones behind us. And so what Moses does to reform God's people and remind them of their calling in his world is to write down Genesis through Deuteronomy. Like, that's what the books are. And so sometimes we think that this is just unfolding in real time. But remember, Moses is carefully crafting these stories to remind God's people, this is who you are, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is the world God created. So that's what Genesis is, as he writes it down. So Moses tells them the story that God created everything, good, right, and beautiful. He gave human beings in the garden, gave them work to do. He told them to cultivate all the hidden potentials of his creation, and like, it was good, and it was beautiful. But then he goes after the dark side. Genesis 3, 6, right? And she took some of the fruit and handed it to her husband, Adam, who was there with her. And immediately they were naked and felt shame. God's creation, instead of trusting his voice, they trust the voice of a serpent. And immediately sin's power is unleashed in the world. And things go from bad to worse. The curse comes. God makes a promise that one day he'll make it right. But then Genesis 4, 8, how are humans going to handle it? Cain attacks his brother and gets the first body count on his record. Uh, Genesis 4.19, Lamech marries two women. Not God's intention, and probably not wise. Uh, Genesis 6.5, God saw how great the wickedness of the people was, and how the inclination of their heart was always evil, so he sends the flood to cleanse the earth. Maybe Noah will get it right coming out of the flood, but his family ends in a mess. And you're like, there is no hope here. And in Genesis 11, right before Genesis 12, that's why we're there, Genesis 11, God actually spreads people out around the world because they want to build a tower to say, look how great we are. And he's like, uh-uh, that's not what this is about, and scatters them out to say, look how great I am. And then we come to Genesis 12. And this story is meant to remind God's people who had just endured incredible difficulty that God was still a God who keeps his word, And he had, without a doubt, invited them into the grand work he was doing of blessing the nations. So they get to their story, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. This story is a tectonic shift because it's answering the question, what can God do about all the evil in this world? 
It's answering the question, how is God going to work out his mission in real time? And so the three words I want to leave you with, I'm not going to leave you the whole time in case you only track with me for the first 10 minutes, uh, are listen. The second is trust. The third is follow. Listen, trust, follow. And I feel if we're people who continually live into these words as evidenced in this story, we will begin and continue to experience the renewal of both mission and of heart that God intends for his people. And that's really what we want as we follow him. We want to enjoy him and participate in the work he's doing. So the first word, listen. Listen. Uh, the story starts off with the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country. Uh, in the story so far, God's voice is literally the most powerful thing that we've seen. It's the most powerful thing we've seen. In the beginning, it went from nothing to something because God created the world. And now he's about to take a family and turn it into something and create his people. Like his voice makes things happen. Stars, sky, plants, animals, oceans, sunsets, sunrises, human beings. His voice cast them out of the garden. His voice pursued them and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? His voice called the flood, and it also called Noah. His voice scattered out the myriad of voices from the Tower of Babel. And now his voice speaks. And I love this, I love this, because who does he speak to? Uh, this is fantastic. He doesn't speak to the one who has it all together. Like, in the list of people that should be spoken to, Abram is not high on that list. If you want to make a great nation, you go after somebody who already has kids, because then you can kind of just say, hey, here's what we're doing. But he goes to a guy who's 75 and doesn't have any kids yet. And he speaks to him. He goes to the place of hopelessness that he has in order to bring life. He goes to where it is dark again in order to bring light. He goes to where it is pain to give his provision. So let's not minimize the years of loss that Abram and Sarai have felt. Like, like, like the sleepless nights when they long for kids. The pain they felt when their friends sent out their baby announcements or put it on their equivalent of Facebook. Smoke signals, whatever it was. Blue smoke, pink smoke, we still do that. We haven't gotten that far, have we? Um, let's not forget the haunting question of how will my family be provided for in the future. Let's not forget uh, all these wonderings of what would happen in them. Let's acknowledge that God doesn't choose Abram because he's awesome. He highlights Abram's need, actually, and makes a promise in that very place of need. He takes the place where there's absolute despair, and then he speaks. And when he speaks, things come to life. When he speaks, things begin to change. When he speaks, the impossible becomes possible. When God speaks, a power is unleashed that no evil can undo. And this is the promise that he makes to Abram. Do you ever find yourself wondering, like, how do I enjoy God? How do I continue to be in this relationship with him? I would say, first and foremost, you listen for his voice. How am I going to find that? Like, you're talking billboards, you're talking writing on the wall, maybe. Uh, I would probably go to scripture first, so the word. Uh, God speaks very clearly uh, at times through his word, and other times it's kind of confusing, right? Can we be honest? But being in there is the medium that the Spirit begins to use in our lives to shape this living text for our real everyday life. So going to his word, turning to community, 
Like genuinely coming around other believers, other people who are listening to the word on behalf of you and listening to the spirit on behalf of you and coming together and saying, what do we think the spirit's doing? What are the things we can pray for? How is God at work and bringing that into community? Coming to him in prayer, not just blasting off a list of requests and walking away, but taking time in silence and stillness to listen and see what God might actually speak back. Listen for his voice. Another place for me is I often go out in creation. And hear me, God isn't in the rocks. He's not in the sand. He's not at the beach. But I, I promise you, he hangs out more at the beach than he does in the city where I live. Because whenever I'm at the beach, right, he speaks way more than I can hear him around the busyness of the city. Or when I go out in nature, I hear him more. But again, it's the stillness, the silence. And God comes and he speaks in those places. Do we have space where we go to listen to God? That's just the first point, so we're going to keep on moving. Um, the second thing, listen and then trust. Trust. We see in the story that Abram hears a promise. He hears God's voice. Uh, the Lord God came. Um, this is not just the, if you look at your Bible, look down at that, Genesis 12, that Lord is all capital. When you read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, that's the name, a general name for God. Like, like that's what people call gods. Uh, that's just the general name. When you get to Genesis 12, 1, it's actually God's personal name. And so this trust, it's personal, it's relational, it's covenantal. This is God saying, I'm disclosing myself to you. I am worthy of trust. I am Yahweh. You've heard the stories. You've felt the rescue. That's the same God who's now calling Abram. Remember, in their mind, they had just been rescued by this Yahweh. They had seen that this Yahweh had taken them out of the power of Egypt. They had seen that he'd taken them across the Red Sea. They'd felt his provision in the wilderness. And now he's saying, that same God's the one who called your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abram and made this promise to him that you now find yourself in because you're in this people. But when we walk, we have to walk by trust. It's not enough to hear the voice of God. It's not enough to know that God speaks to some people. We have to respond to that voice with trust. And as we learn to trust, gratitude grows. As we trust, joy grows. As we trust, I think our capacity to love grows. Because we have to turn ourselves over to the God who is able to do what we could never do for ourselves. But like, like there's a lot that we cannot do, isn't there? And sometimes it comes to living in your calling, and sometimes it's, a, it's trying to avoid sin. Whoa, did that drop? No, we're good. Uh, that's, uh, sometimes it comes in avoiding sin. But here's the deal. We can't reason our way out of it, right? Have you ever tried to reason your way out of sin? Like, well, that's not really sin because... And then you come out with it and you still feel trapped by it, right? Your reasoning didn't matter. Um, you can't will yourself away from it. Have you ever been here where you're like, all right, God, I know what you want. I also know what I want to do. And so I'm going to try really, really, really hard to do what God wants me to do. And where do you end up? It's like your car is out of line, right? You just all of a sudden end up right back over where you were when you try by sheer willpower to change without the trust. Uh, you won't suddenly shift into a better version of yourself. Some of us hope for that, don't we? Like, maybe if I just live long enough, I'll trip and fall into a better version of myself where I want to do what God wants me to do and I don't want to do this other stuff. That will never happen. At least I haven't yet. I've been doing this for a little while. Uh, you can't feel yourself into being okay. And what I mean by that is you can't just be like, all right, maybe if I just turn on the right music, get the right vibe, set the right candles, get the right lights on, then I'll finally want to obey. It really hinges on our ability to trust God. And hear this, if we can't do it for ourselves, and I think most of us are in the place where we realize that, 
then we can't do it for our friends. Like, I can't make you want to obey, no matter how bad I want to. I can't make you listen to God's voice, no matter how bad I want to. Then we definitely can't do it for our town. And that's what we want to see the gospel begin to grow right out. And you realize, I can't do any of this. We need a rescuer and a redeemer. We need to throw ourselves at Jesus. And if you haven't ever responded to his voice and trust, but you've heard it, the call is simple. Turn to him and say, Jesus, all right, I trust you. I'm willing to follow you. I know where following me leads, and I don't like it. Like, that leads to slavery. That leads to anger. That leads to bitterness. We've seen that in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Human beings, when left to themselves, have really good, like, moments, but really bad lives. Like, we tend to go towards selfishness really, really easy. Uh, if you uh, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know that. If you have a wife or a husband, you know that even more. If you have kids, you know that even more. It sounds like every time you add somebody to your household, you realize you're just a little bit more selfish, don't you? And you're like, goodness gracious, I thought I had this. Add one more. No, I don't. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're saying, hey, Platt, Platt, hold on. You come back once. Ease up. I trusted Jesus, and that's great, but I've already, I've already done that. Here is my genuine, heartfelt, like, put it on the table question for you. In this moment, are you still trusting him? Like, like are we still trusting him? I know you might have in the past, and I don't care if it was in your 5, 15, 25, 35, 45, 55. All you guys are under that, I know, so it's not that, right? Um, but are we, are we still trusting him, like, like with the daily stuff? And I ask that because I know, like, even just two weeks ago, I was having a wrestling match where I know the, the Spirit was calling my wife and I to uh, bring a few extra kids into our house for a little while. And I was like, I don't want to. Like, I, like I didn't want, like, and then the Spirit raises it up, right? And I'm like, I don't want to. So I tell her no. And she's like, ah, I kind of feel like this is what God wants for us to do. Like, this is what the church does. This is what we do. We come around those who don't have fathers and mothers in the moment, and we give care. That's what Jesus did for us. She's, like, preaching it, right? And I'm like... Yeah, but our house is too small, right? Or, or like all these things, all these reasons I don't want to, struggling with the bottom line was trust. God, is this really, I don't want to do this. I don't trust that your plan is best. I think this ends in disaster. I don't want to do it. But like I said, we have two extra toddlers in our house. We can always turn and repent and enjoy what God gives us in the moment. It doesn't make it easier, but it's still life-giving because I get to experience more of Jesus than I would have had I not followed his voice. So are there things like you're struggling right now to actually trust Jesus with? Your future or your past? This present moment. Can he direct our family? Will he really rescue me from an addiction? Could he really melt the heart of people in this place? Has the, has the South Jersey cynicism stolen that unwavering hope that God's voice still changes people and places? I encourage you to think through that. But the third word, third word is follow. So my daughter, Kenzie, and I, uh, we were driving in my truck. And we're coming down the road, and we pull up to a stoplight. Maybe you guys have been here. Uh, you pull up to the stoplight, and you look over to the, the side, right? Because you're at a stoplight, you can look around. And you look around, and we watched this lady in the car next to us was going in. Like, she was dancing. Like, she was having a moment with her all-time favorite jam. And there, the car was rocking. That's what caught my attention. And I'm like, what is going on, right? We're at a stoplight. It shouldn't be moving. Car's rocking back and forth. And she's in there solo. 
And you just watch her like having a good old time. Every single dance move, you can kind of, oh, I know what song she's playing. Like you can hear it coming through my windows, right? And we were laughing so hard we missed our turn arrow because we're looking over there watching this lady who's doing something absolutely ridiculous dancing because she hears something that no one else hears, right? And she's just going in and going nuts. You guys ever been there? Uh, it wasn't one day later that uh, I had, there's a Blink-182 song on the radio, and I was full on in the middle of a drum solo when I realized I was doing the same thing that that lady was doing, uh, and humility comes over you, right? You're like, oh, I am that person. But sometimes you, you hear something, right, and, and the response is you have to move. Like, the, the response is that when you hear that, even if nobody else has heard it, you hear it, and you know that's what it, and it demands a response. The voice of God will always demand a response. Sometimes it's stay. Sometimes it's be still. In this story, it's go. But even if nobody else heard it, Abram still had a responsibility that he had to go. And then what do we read? Abram went. And then he called a squad with him, right? Like he called Lot, his wife, their families, their servants. He said, all right, guys, we're going to go follow God. This isn't just good news for me. I'm not just going to do this. We're going to do this. And follow the invitation. Follow the command of Jesus. We don't just hear it. This isn't something that we just believe in our hearts. Uh, if you want to know what you really trust, don't just look at your heart, though that's important. But look at your feet. Your feet are walking the way of the thing that you really trust and the thing you really want. Like I can say I want Jesus, but if I'm walking away from him, what I really want is what my feet are going towards, right? You want to know what you really trust, what really has captured your heart. See where your feet are moving. Yes, moving means you go out of safety, leave the land that you're from. Yes, it means sometimes leaving what is comfortable or secure. But when you go, when you listen to the voice of Jesus and you trust him and you walk with him, you get to go with God, and that's far better than anything you would have had you not walked with God. Uh, when I got married, do you guys know how I decided I was ready to marry my wife, Kaylee Ann? Uh, it was when I had saved up enough money that I could go on another surf trip, and I wanted to buy a ring instead. True story. That's what I was like, oh, I guess I'm ready to get married. Let's have a really short engagement. Let's roll. Um, it had been, I mean, three years, so it had been enough time. But for me, it clicked in when I realized I, I have this money. I have this resource. I have something that I would like to do almost any other time in my life, pay down, go to Panama, go to Australia, go somewhere, and go surf for a while. And I said, no, no, no. What I really want to do is get to spend more time with Kaylee Ann, so I'm going to go put a ring on it, right? That sacrifice was all my money, but it didn't seem like a sacrifice at all because I got to be with the one I loved, right? Same thing when it comes to following God. We hear his voice. He invites us into relationship. We trust him, and we want to be wherever he is, even as that is sent to go. How do we know Abram trusted God? The text says that he went. And hear this. He didn't get it right the whole way. Read a few more chapters in. That dude's like borderline dirtbag. Right? Like, like, he lies about his wife being a sister, and then she gets, like, it's like a whole story. You're like, this guy is not an all-star. And you're like, yes, but God still calls him. God still uses him. Those of us that are not all-stars, take joy. Those of us that have a lot of skill and talent, I hope God can use you. Uh, but he uses those that are not able and don't seem like they would be chosen. One of the things I like to do when I'm back in Jersey is to drive by old job sites. So my dad was a landscaper here, and we did a lot of work over on the island. And so I'll drive by old job sites just to see what's still there. Um, and there's been a few floods, but some of the stuff still remains, and it's pretty incredible. So I was driving um, <laughs> the other day, and I went by a place where we had planted these big olive trees. And, like, they were massive, like, root ball things. 
And so somebody has to dig them, and when you're 17, that's you, right? So we had to dig these massive, massive olive trees out for this family. And so I went by, and all these olives are still there all over. And I'm sitting there getting a little reminiscent, right? Because I remember, like, leaving our rakes outside at that job site so it looked like we were working, but we were really surfing. Best part was it was my dad's idea, and we all ran up the beach. Like, I remember sweating next to the other guy that was there and being like, this is the, so help me. We had to pick the summer to do this? This is ridiculous. And these big, massive balls that we had to roll in there. But as I was watching it, this little kid, like, I hadn't seen him, jumps out of this olive tree. I don't know what he's doing here. There's thorns in those things. But he jumps out, right, full-on Spider-Man costume. Like, he even, I must have tied a cape around his neck. Like, Spider-Man doesn't have a cape. But he had a cape, and he jumps down and scares his sister to death. And he starts laughing so hard. And I was sitting in my car, and I just start dying laughing. Because I was in, all in my head, right, all thinking through this, all in this place. And I was like, man, that moment of joy for that little boy was cultivated 20 years ago when I was digging a tree and threw it in there. And then a whole lot of life has gone by, but I had no idea that like, that little kid would have so much joy in that moment because I did what my dad had told me to do and planted this tree. Uh, hear this. As we follow God, never, never, never underestimate what he can do through small acts of obedience. It might not be right away, but you do not know what is coming generations later. Right? You do not know what is coming years later. I'm sitting in this room, singing back there, and my eyes start leaking a little bit because I hear little kids singing praise to Jesus who weren't born when I was back here being a part of this church. Like, that's powerful. Why? Because people put one foot in front of the other. How do I know Dave and Cindy trusted Jesus when he said, go and plant this church? Uh, they're here, and they followed, and they've given their lives over to loving people and living in the ways of Jesus in this place. How do I know Ryan and Kristen have done and said, this is where Jesus wants me, and I'm going to give my life to there? Because I was there in the ocean when I asked Ryan if he wanted to, I took him out surfing and asked him if he wanted to be the pastor of Great Bay when I was uh, looking to possibly leave. And uh, he's like, I have to ask my wife. And she said no. Um, and then two weeks later, they said, yeah, true story, right? All right. Two weeks later, uh, she said, yes, this is what God wants from us. How do I know that? They put one foot in front of the other, loving people, loving place, and being faithful to what God has called them to do, which has led to generations of people literally in this place who did not know Jesus, now singing praise. Like, Amy used to sit right there, because we had our rows out here back before COVID, um, and she used to sit right there, hands across her chest, and mean mug me. Like, make me believe what you're saying is true. And then one Easter, Jesus says, hey, uh, it's true. And Jesus saves her. How do I know Jesus? And she's trusting Jesus. How do I know? The woman is following Jesus to this day, putting one foot in front of the other, trusting him. Perfectly? No, but that's not the call. Imperfectly putting our trust in a perfect God? That is absolutely the call. This isn't just one thing. It goes through the entire story. I know you do. In the beginning, they hear God's voice. They follow him, and things go well. In the second act of the story, they hear God's voice, they hear the voice of the serpent, they go after him, and everything goes wrong. Uh, these people in the promise begin to hear God's voice, and it goes, and they, when they follow God, it is for their good. When they turn to something else and listen to a different voice, it goes poorly. Jesus is the only one who does what is good, right, and true all of the time, perfectly listens to the Father's voice, perfectly follows the will of the Father, dies a death in our place, then raises again, offering new life. And then catch this, he, he goes and gathers a small group of people and says, now you go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yo, I am with you. Oh, he says, lo, not yo. Lo, I am with you, even to the very end of the age. 
And then that commission washes up on our shore, and we have to ask, will we listen? Will we trust that he is actually with us? And will we follow wherever he leads? My prayer is that you continue to stay the course, stay faithful. New life is going to continue to push through. Don't give up just because it's winter. Look for those sparks of new creation life. Continue listening. Continue trusting. Continue following. Would you guys pray with me? I want to end us in, in a prayer. Uh, lead you in just the promise that God has given us of what will come for us. We look back and we see Jesus. We look back and see him being the rescuer. But hear these words of John, and, uh, and let your heart believe again that this will be true. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, including people from Mystic who do not yet believe. Jesus is still going to save and rescue, including us who get to stand there. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne and their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, would you awaken our hearts once again with fresh hope, relentless hope, that your voice still speaks, that you are absolutely a God worth trusting above and beyond any other thing that promises to save. And God, would our footsteps follow you wherever you may lead. Uh, may we be faithful in our service and fruitful for your kingdom. Amen.